Hey everyone, my name is Iman Chaudhry. And my name is Danielle Solish, and today you're listening to the 22nd episode of Seeing Clearly, a pre-clerkship guide to all things ophthalmology. On today's episode, we are going to be interviewing Dr. Mark Bona. So a little bit about Dr. Bona. Uh, Dr. Bona is an eye physician and surgeon at the Kingston Health Sciences Center in Kingston, Ontario. He serves as an assistant professor at Queen's University in the Department of Ophthalmology with a cross appointment to the School of Rehabilitation Therapy. He's also the postgraduate program director for the Department of Ophthalmology. And on completion of his ophthalmology residency at Queen's University, Dr. Bona undertook a traveling fellowship in vision rehabilitation. He is also currently acting as the chair of the Canadian Vision Rehabilitation Society and is currently the director of the Southeast Ontario Vision Rehabilitation Service. So without further ado, we would love to introduce Dr. Bona. Thank you guys for, thank you guys for having me. Happy to be here, excited. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you being on the, on the podcast. Yeah, we're really excited. So I guess we're gonna kick it off right with our questions. And we asked this question to all of our guests. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your journey to ophthalmology and you know why you went into ophthalmology. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, obviously, it's a question that everybody's asked at some point. Um, I personally, I got into ophthalmology uh, quite late. I think I was in my fourth year of of medical school, and um, I kind of split my electives uh, between pediatrics and ophthalmology. And, um, and so then I went off on my electives and, um, the, when I juxtaposed those two very different, you know, uh, types of medicine became very obvious to me, what kind of, I gravitated towards what I aligned with, like for me, ophthalmology is just such a kind of a satisfying concrete science. Like you can look in the eye and you can see the cells and the inflammation and the, the nerve and the, and whatever. And, um, and then you can do something about it and, and it, for me, it's just, it's gratifying that you can, it's just, I don't know, there's something gratifying of the concreteness of it. Um, whereas, you know, in pediatrics, it was trying to, while I love working with kids, it's trying to kind of extract information and they can't really communicate it with you. You're looking at, um, you know, lab tests, blood work that are acting as surrogate markers for whatever you're looking looking at. And so, um, so that part of it, um, it just didn't jive with me. So when I had those two choices, it was it was pretty clear what I wanted to do. And then when I was on my electives, obviously pretty late in the game, there's a lot of stress in trying to, you know, you know, build your CV. Um, and so what I was doing was every time I was on an elective, I was just desperately trying to maximize my potential. And so I would try and do, you know, a research project with with my supervisor or um, I remember one one elective I created a teaching module for for the residents um on a specific topic just thinking outside the box desperately like what can i do to ingratiate myself and and, and build myself up and uh fortunately it worked out in the end um and then and then after ophthalmology um yeah maybe maybe we'll leave it there and uh if you have some other questions we can dive into it but for me it was it was a late it was a late start and uh but definitely the right decision well, thank you for sharing that. I think uh, from a medical student perspective, it's always reassuring to hear the stories of, you know, in your interest being a little bit later in, in your journey to uh, ophthalmology, just because it shows that you never really know where your, your life is headed. And clearly, you know, you were interested in two different specialties, which is interesting to see, and, and you gravitated towards one, which is, it's nice to see that you, 
you found that late but still pursued it anyways and it all worked out so thank you for sharing that um, now that you are uh, an ophthalmologist, uh, do you mind maybe telling our audience a little bit about what your day looks like? So maybe how you manage your work as a specialist in low vision, um, but then also being the program director and your comprehensive practice as well. Um, yeah, so I obviously wear a few different hats um, and it's it can be tough to juggle all of them. I, I would say if I had to put an order to it, um, the the program director administrative duties probably takes up the the bulk of my my weekly practice um, and then I also have kind of the comprehensive surgical uh, general ophthalmology practice um, which is kind of second and then then the kind of the third um, kind of most intensive part of my week is the the vision rehabilitation practice um, there, I, I like the fact that there's such variety is is fantastic. I think if, if I was doing the same thing every day, day in, day out, um, it would become, you know, monotonous pretty quickly. Sometimes I get, you know, it's frustrating just to have so many juggling so many different balls at the same time. Um, but if I were to like, honestly reflect on things, I think having that variety is is crucial. And and, and you can get that anywhere you know it's up to you how you build your practice um, but I think you know creating a little bit of variety is important the 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 I think there's been a transition over the years where in the past it used to be that you would do you'd be a you know a general ophthalmologist through and through or you'd be a UBI specialist or you would be you know substitute any subspecialist and that's kind of all that you you did and what I'm seeing more and more now is that people are graduating and then doing areas of, of interest, right? So not necessarily fellowship trained. So for me, when, when I was graduating, I kind of looked at our department and saw like, what are we missing here? And, you know, at the time I, I saw that there was just this intense focus in ophthalmology on metrics and numbers. So what is the RNFL thickness, the central macular thickness, visual field, um, um, visual field defects, but none of that actually um, related directly to how patients function on a day-to-day -day basis, which is really what we're trying to influence. And so that's where kind of the vision rehabilitation piece came in. And that was that was sorely lacking. And so um, so at that time, I kind of, um, at, you know, there wasn't a, there were, sorry, there, there were fellowships that existed, um, um, but I had a young family and for me to, to take off for a year and, and embark on a fellowship was kind of too much of a personal sacrifice. Um, but, you know, trying to think outside the box, um, what, what could I do in its stead? And so um, I looked up basically different subspecialists in the field across North America um, and planned these kind of two week, one month stints with them where I would go, come back practice ophthalmology here as a locum, go, come back. And then in the aggregate, after a year, I had enough kind of expertise that I, I could come back and start my own practice. And, and in the past, it used to be that, again, if you were even in a vision rehabilitation specialist, all that's all that you would do, you know, five days a week, uh, 52 weeks out of the year. Um, but for me, I wanted to be more of an area of interest, just like we have you know, comprehensive ophthalmologists who do have an area of interest in plastics or have an area of interest in medical glaucoma or, or sorry, medical uh, retina or what have you. Um, so for me, it's kind of 
general ophthalmology, some administrative duties, um, and then kind of this area of interest, this niche that uh, that I can offer to our department uh, that's that's vision rehabilitation. Oh, that's incredible. It's also nice because then you can feel interest in different specialties in different areas. Like if you had an interest in medical education, but also in practicing, and then you get to kind of format your week around that. That's incredible. I can understand how it can get so busy, but that's awesome. Um, just kind of a follow-up that's semi-related to that. I was wondering if you could talk about like how maybe you or maybe just in general specifically how to integrate like research into your clinic or into your practice and how like individuals in ophthalmology can balance that, whether that's specific to you or others. Yeah, that was another lesson that I learned along the way. Um, so when I started, so I came, I did that, I did those traveling fellowships, I came back, and then it was kind of like a one man show where I like, I had a little bit of, I had some demonstration devices, and it was very uh, patient centric, very targeted, um, and trying to kind of just be as efficient as possible. But that approach does not lend itself well to research. And, and I had a, a really uh, great colleague who worked in our department uh, as the research director. And we kind of sat down and we're like, if you really want to do this, you have to build kind of the culture and the infrastructure in place in your clinic so that it becomes research becomes almost organic and, and easy. And so like, what did that mean? That meant, um, so we actually ended up purchasing our own, uh, our own standalone electronic medical records uh, that nobody else in our hospital uses because vision rehabilitation is a very kind of, it's not a cookie cutter um, specialty. And so we built, we bought something that was customizable. We built it from the back end. And so that now not only does it suit our clinical needs, but it suits our research needs. It creates a, a database that we can draw on information. We can decide, like, we're, let's do a study on microperimetry. Well, we can immediately, you know, filter different results, flag things, extract data, export them uh, into SPSS, and, and and it just became much easier. Um, also, understand from a cultural standpoint, understanding that um, you should. People should just um, collect data as a matter of course, like because you never know when you're going to need it, what you're going to want to draw on. So if you're doing this, if you're doing everything for everybody always as a part of your cl normal clinical exam, then when you kind of go back retrospectively, um, you can you can it's very easy to extract, and there won't be many gaps in in the data. Um, so I think those were. Those were a couple of lessons. And then so now when I'm doing research, it's much easier when I have, uh, um, you know, a resident or a med student um, where we can kind of come up with an idea together. And I'm like, I've got this database here. Let's go. Let's go mine through it and see what we can come up with. Um, so it just makes it easier. The one thing I would say is that there's a there's a differentiation between like big R and little r. So big R is like research is your raison d'être, like you're, you're getting big grants. It's like you're spending half your time, uh, half your half your week doing research and the other half is clinical versus little r, which is what I am, uh, where it's kind of, again, like an area of interest, something that you dabble in. Sometimes you spend a little more time, a little less time, but it's it's not kind of the purpose for my existence in, in our department. Um, so somebody who's a big R might have a very, have very different advice. Um, but I, from, from a little R standpoint, I think this works out well. Well, thank you for the advice and kind of 
breaking it up into into those categories it's nice to to see the two and then see how you're going about your research it seems like everything you do is quite innovative and and on your own path and is guided by your passion so that's also really nice to to see so thank you for that um, branching a little bit away from academia and ophthalmology um, I was wondering if you mind sharing what types of things you enjoy doing for fun outside of work and and how you're able to balance that in addition to your your practice yeah so work-life balance um, not I'm not great at it I'm sure my family can attest to that. Um, so yeah, I, so I just as just to give you a little background, I have three young kids. And um, so the moment I'm done work, I go home and it's all family all the time and then rinse and repeat kind of day after day. Um, so that's, so they're my kind of my extracurricular. Um, I do try and I enjoy cycling. So I try and uh, um, I'm, if I'm on the trainer first thing in the morning, um, before clinic or um, I used to be able to get out more, um, but not so much of late. Um, so that's kind of one thing that I like in the winters. I like to, to play hockey. Um, but again, my games are always at night. So you can see that whenever the kids are asleep, that's my time. <laughs> um, and I, and I kind of fill it with uh, different activities. The other thing is we, uh, um, I really like the outdoors. And so our family often goes up to kind of so obviously I'm from Kingston um, and there's uh, there's really nice uh, lakes and, and uh, green spaces north of the city. So we're up there most weekends. That's excellent. Well, when the kids get older, then you'll have more time before, maybe a little less time after, but I'm just waiting. Fingers crossed. Um, no, that's awesome. I know it's always easier said than done to, to balance, but, you know, having a family is, of course, like an amazing um, commitment to have. Um, now, I guess just ending this off with one final question for all our listeners. I was wondering, since you're working at an academic center, if you could talk a little bit about any advice you have for learners, anyone who's doing like a clinical rotation or like interested in ophthalmology. Um, I think uh, maybe my advice would be uh, just kind of to be authentic with, with who you are. Um, you know, I had a fairly, at least maybe before ophthalmology, a fairly linear traditional path um, in terms of undergraduate uh, studies, med school, and then residency. Um, but the longer I've been doing this, the more I see that people have had some atypical routes, you know, circuitous routes uh, to where they ultimately ended up. And they had like these really interesting, wonderful experiences that I'm sure they're better off for it. And so not feeling you know, not feeling compelled to, to, to take the, the most direct path. And, you know, whether it's feeling, you know, pressure to do, like, I've got to do a, a research fellowship to, to get where I want, or rather maybe do something out of, out of interest and passion. Um, and I think that probably will say more about you and, and express more of who you are. Um, and I hope will kind of get you where you want to go. Um, in, in the long run. And maybe the other, the the other thing that I would say, which again, I, I don't do it. I'm not always doing a great job with, but, um, telling, just letting people know that they have the, the power to control their environment. So what I mean, like when you're a resident or so when you're a med student, for example, kind of what, what I'm saying, you have the power to decide, you know, I'm going to go on this really exciting elective to, 
you know, South America, whatever, as opposed to do doing research all summer. Um, but when you're even when you're when you're older, <clears throat> when you're when you're kind of further along as a faculty, uh, often people feel compelled to do clinics. But but no, you can you can um, create boundaries and you can adjust your clinic. You can create areas of interest. Um, you can mold the type of practice you want to lead, um, whichever way you want. And I don't think people there's a I don't think people understand that. Um, and uh, obviously there are degrees, like sometimes you're restricted by, you know, your environment, your clinic, your OR time, whatever. But but as long as you're, you know, thinking about like what's important to you, what are your priorities? Um, you, can, you can actually kind of modulate things and adjust things to steer you in that direction. You just need like the confidence and uh, to know that it's, it's gonna be okay. Well, thank you for, for sharing that, because I think just sharing that will hopefully give some of our, our student listeners um, the confidence to, to pursue their passions and to, to do exactly what, uh, what you said. So thank you again for, for uh, sharing that. Um, we're done with our academic-related uh, questions. Now, as our listeners know, we, go, we move into our Would You Rather segment. So I'll start off, and then Danielle will um, ask you a second question. But for the first question, would you rather work 80 hours one week and have the next week off or work 40 hours for two weeks? Oh, um, I would, uh, so I would rather do 40 hours uh, a week. Um, it's a better, the better question is what would my family rather? Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to defer to them, but I, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I would do 40 hours. I think uh, I'm a slow and steady kind of guy. And that seems a little too like manic and like hyper focused yeah. for me. I was going to say it's a lot all at once and then just nothing. And that on repeat seems hard to sustain. Yeah. You'd probably just be so tired the week after that it would be hard to make up for it for sure. I would have gone into shift work. I would have gone, I would have gone into like emerge or something. Yeah. That's totally valid. Um, and then my question is, would you rather receive a catered lunch every single day, but never get to choose what you order or have to pack your own lunch every single day? So I would rather, so <laughs> I would definitely rather a catered lunch because I'm not picky and, and it would just be exciting. But so I pack my lunch every day and I go, I open the fridge and I look for all the leftovers um, that our, our kids and our family haven't eaten. And I just try and, I try and clean the fridge as much as possible. And there's something so gratifying again about just getting rid of leftovers. And, and if I didn't do that, we'd be throwing out tons of food. And so I would actually go with option B for the good of uh, our fridge. I was gonna say, it's very like, environmentally sustainable no food waste it, it is but it's actually there's like this selfish compulsion that like oh I got rid of that that's great <laughs> exactly you feel good about it when you're eating it yeah um well with all of that um we're kind of we've wrapped up the episode so I just wanted to say thank you again for for being a part of the episode and for our listeners thank you so much for listening to this episode of seeing clearly which is our pre clerkship guide to all things ophthalmology you can also stay caught up with everything else 
else that iCurriculum is doing. So check out our website at www.icurriculum.com and be sure to follow us on our social media at iCurriculum. Thank you again, Dr. Bona, for, for doing this interview with us. Guys, thank you for having me. This is a great initiative. Um, much appreciated.